This is Your Partners in Pain, a podcast that aims to bring together those who live with pain, healthcare providers who treat chronic pain, and researchers working on topics that affect people living with pain. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone experiencing pain or anyone trying to help those who live with it. Your Partners in Pain is presented by the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain, and I am your host, Alexandria. Each episode, we are going to speak to Saskatchewan-based healthcare providers and researchers who have information and education to share about pain science and pain care. We are also going to speak with everyday people as they share their incredible stories of living with pain and the techniques they've used to help manage it and live well. It is important to note that the information presented in this podcast represents the opinions of the host and the guests that appear on the show and not that of SAS Pain. The content presented should not be taken as direct health care advice, but for informational purposes only. Because each individual is unique, please consult your healthcare provider for any questions or concerns you have, or before you incorporate any of the ideas presented in this podcast into your own treatment plan. Today, we are speaking to Dr. Anita Chakravarti, who has been a prominent member of the pain community in Saskatchewan as someone with lived experience of pain and as a care provider. Anita has a very impressive resume being a physician and an anesthesiologist, as well as a member of the Department of Anesthesiology and Perioperative Medicine, and a faculty member to the Center for Integrative Medicine at the College of Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. Anita was the first medical director for the Chronic Pain Center in Saskatoon. She has been a physician at the St. Paul's Hospital Pain Clinic. She is on the National Task Force to have pain recognized as a subspecialty for the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons. And she is also the co-chair of the Pain Education Committee at the Canadian Pain Society, a medical advisor to the Canadian Pain Coalition, and most recently, a board member of the Saskatchewan Pain Society, where she just finished her term. And aside from all these incredible accolades, Anita is actually going to be speaking to us about mindful practice, because Anita is also a faculty and facilitator of mindfulness and self-compassion based out of New York. Anita, Thank you so much for joining us today on Your Partners in Pain. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. For those who don't know, Anita was actually a longstanding board member of the Saskatchewan Pain Society, and she has completed her term for the organization earlier this year. So I'm wanting to thank Anita for her outstanding service to this community, and I am really excited for her to share her insight and experiences with us. Thank you for having me, Alexandra. Some of our listeners may have seen your Partners in Pain webinar presentation that occurred in April of this year. I am going to provide a link for that recording if anybody wants to view it. So I'm really looking forward to delving into this topic that you presented on and continuing this conversation on the podcast. Thank you. Uh, I'm very, very grateful to be here today and having an opportunity to share some of my experiences um, in pain. And I do feel, as many of us have, very unique perspective because not only am I a pain patient, but I'm also a uh, pain provider and have been involved in many aspects of pain um, delivery, pain healthcare delivery, um, provincially and nationally as well. 
Um, finally, I just wanted to say that I feel that we need to learn from each other. Um, there's no one way uh, to deal with pain. And so when we hear other people's stories, I feel that certainly for me, it helped validate my own pain and that I wasn't some outlier. And also feeling that, you know, learning from how we deal with pain, um, it's different for everyone. Absolutely. And that's really a key component of this podcast is having people come and share their lived experience because it just provides that sense of support when you do feel really alone living with pain because I've been there too and so many of our listeners have as well. But Anita, I understand your professional background is as a physician and care provider and you are actually the first medical director of the Saskatoon Chronic Pain Center, which is incredible. So clearly you have a great deal of knowledge in this area. But I was hoping that we could start off with your own experiences outside the healthcare sphere. What got you so interested in pain? Well, uh, you know, Alexandra, it's it's a bit of a long story, but I think it's valuable to share it. Um, So I actually grew up here in Canada. I've spent most of my life in Saskatchewan. I'm 64 years old now. And I just always thought uh, once I got into medical school and then did anesthesiology, uh, I would be doing that and, you know, at my age now, would be giving uh, anesthetics and maybe retire at 65. And, um, you know, uh, as they say, life often has other plans. And so um, it was way back um, in August of 1998, actually, that uh, we went on a holiday with our young kids. And um, even though I didn't really want to, we ended up on a uh, horseback uh, ride with our friends' kids and my kids while the other three adults went golfing. And uh, long story short, um, I I was thrown from the horse and uh, I was able to get up and keep walking. I did miss the big rock beside my head. It wasn't my kids. So those two aspects gave me a lot of courage uh, when things were bad because it happened to me and not my children. But over the years, uh, for about 10 years, I um, kept trying to make everything work. Uh, in the operating room, and uh, we had a, I had a very full life. I just turned forty, um, you know, married, mother of two, a career I loved, lots of friends and social activities. But over the next ten years, the 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 chronic pain really took over my life, and I went from someone who had meaning and purpose and sense of connection and contribution to society, slowly started having to give up things. And at the end, just before I left the operating room. I really had a loss of identity because all the things that I loved to do and who I was seemed to be stripped from me. And I left the OR because I really felt that I was going to hurt somebody. And again, I'm very grateful that I chose to leave before. I always thought I'd come back because, oh, I'll take six months off and take care of this and I'll be back. And that was several years ago now. Um, On the other hand, that pain and suffering, uh, not only the physical pain, but the real deep, dark sense of the darkness of the the soul really is what made me look into options um, for managing chronic pain. And I went from needles and pills and having all this access to uh, Western medicine to the concepts of integrative medicine. Um, And that's led me to where I am today. That's like an incredible overview and story and seeing that transition in your life. And we also actually just had Donelda Gowan on the, our one of our most previous episodes where she told us all about integrative medicine. So that'll be familiar to people as well. 
But in addition to your physician work, I know you were also certified as a facilitator and faculty member in mindful practice, which incorporates mindfulness, narrative medicine, and other forms of inquiry to provide wellness maybe outside of that more strictly Western approach that so many of us are familiar with. Would you be willing to tell us a bit more about the role of mindfulness, uh, specifically that it's maybe had for you in your pain management or for others? Yes, of course. Um, you know, sometimes when you speak about something, it says, oh, she's got her act together. I just want to, you know, have your listeners know um, that there was many turnarounds and ups and downs and going backwards and regressions uh, to get to where I am. And, and a big part of what I'm able to do now is because of recentering into this present moment. And um, so with the Center of Integrative Medicine, actually I became trained in um, acupuncture through the University of Alberta. Uh, Dr. Ong has now received uh, an order of Canada for his work in training physicians uh, and others in this art. Um, but it really opened up my eyes, the idea of integrative medicine, which is evidence-based, right? It, it is evidence-based to the opportunities that we know so much in Western medicine. And here I've been in medical school and residency and tra subspecialty training and all these years of experience, and yet I was lost. And when I took my first um, alternative therapies, and acupuncture was considered alternative way back then, uh, I thought, oh my goodness, there's a whole new way of looking at these things. And many of them are ancient wisdom traditions that have stood the test of time for thousands and thousands of years. Um, it took a long time to get my left brain, which is, you know, how I live, um, to incorporate some of these, uh, these um, elements of ancient tradition healing uh, things. So, um, Mindfulness meditation, I was introduced to, I was speaking at a Canadian Pain Society meeting, and this person after me was speaking on mindfulness and chronic pain. I thought, what the heck is this? Again, a long time ago. And by the end of it, I thought, I need I need to know what this is. Um, I didn't understand fully how much it would change my life. And um, at that time, there was nobody in Saskatoon that was offering it. So I actually ended up going to other places to do the eight-week course, eventually ending up um, my very first uh, training experience was um, in California with Dr. John Kabat-Zinn uh, and Saki Santorelli, which was many years ago. And, you know, I walked away with this sense of a door has opened. Um, since that time, I did do my, my facilitator and faculty training in New York uh, with Dr. Michael Epstein and Mick Krasner and have actually um, taught there as well. And what has changed is really the idea of what we all know we're supposed to do, but of being in the present moment. And so, you know, it says, oh, take a deep breath, you know, be in the present moment. When your body is racked with pain, um, first of all, you are in your body. So majority of my life felt, since the accident has been to rise above my body and sort of block it out as well as I could, which is why I was able to do it for 10 years. And mindfulness gave me this opportunity to befriend my body. And um, it's interesting. I'm just being mindful right now and noticing a, a sense of, I can feel it in my chest and my throat. I wish I had known sooner that we could be friends with ourselves as we are. 
And so with the mindfulness is the idea that we come into the present moment, we are doing so with a sense of non-judgment and acceptance, and with the utmost kindness to ourselves. And there's scientific definitions, but that is what really spoke to me. So accepting where I am today has actually allowed me to do more. And I've always maintained uh, work after anesthesia, clinical anesthesia in ICU. I went into the um, St. Paul's Hospital Pain Clinic where I worked there, then the director, as you mentioned, the pain center, and doing some national work. I've been able to keep working because of this idea that how can I accept myself as I am? I remember the very first time I was doing a body scan with Dr. Kabat-Zinn doing the lead. I'd been doing many of them before and cried through many of them because the whole point is to be with yourself as you scan your body. And he said, now bring your attention to this. And now take a deep breath, release, bring your attention to the next area. And there was this moment of clarity because I was crying through this. And I realized that the word bringing attention to and the word tenderness obviously have some connection. And in that moment, I've practiced being kind to my body when it is in pain. I still try to transcend above it. So when people say, hey, Anita, you look really good. You don't look like you're in chronic pain. And I think, well, you don't know how much I've had to rest and, you know, um, before I, I come and do this one-hour talk, I know, my my immediate family might know, but they don't know, and it's a constant process. But then after that work piece that I do, I do go and I rest and be tender to what my body needs. And by tenderness, I don't mean, you know, tub baths and Epsom salts and that. That may be part of it, but it's a mental process of being kind. Um, to what my body's needing and accepting that this is where my life is. And any quality of life that I have right now, which I think is considerable considering where it could have gone with chronic pain and being an anesthetist with fentanyl available easily, uh, I feel very grateful for the, the wisdom traditions that have allowed me to uh, talk about mindfulness and experience it on a moment-to-moment, day-to-day basis. Absolutely. And there's two really important pieces there as you're speaking, that idea of befriending your body. And if you're somebody living with chronic pain, I think it's pretty easy that you feel very combative with your body because, you know, you feel like your body's not doing what you want it to do, or it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And you just, you get really frustrated. So it's really easy to fall into that cycle of anger and fear and anxiety But staying mindful and in the moment, that's so key. And for people who aren't familiar with uh, John Kabat-Zinn, I will provide some show notes for that. There's some incredible books. There's some audio tapes that can help you uh, learn all about it, as well as people even like um, Eckhart Tolle, who speak about, you know, the pain body and how to stay present. So I will make sure to include lots of that information, but also the idea of being kind to your body. So I know when we're talking about mindfulness, another word that seems, uh, I don't want to say trending, but it's kind of gaining momentum, which is really great in pain care is self-compassion. And some people may have heard of that through the work of Dr. Kristen Neff, who was actually one of the keynote speakers last year at the Pain Society of Alberta's World Pain Summit. So Anita, 
I'm assuming you're you're trying to tell us that self-compassion is really a big component of this mindfulness practice as well. Yes, absolutely. I, I don't think that they can be separated. Although, um, excuse me, right now, as you mentioned, Dr. Kristen Neff um, has said that explicit training in self-compassion um, is 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 very important. And I think that's true when we're looking at it from the mindfulness lens. Um, I know that for myself, uh, you mentioned that, you know, this sense of combating um, the body. I think it's also a sense of betrayal of the body. Um, I also feel very strongly that ancient wisdom traditions did not separate mind and body. Uh, mind, body, heart was, you know, one one whole, if you will. And um, uh, many years over 500 years ago, Rene Descartes said we should you know, he was actually the first person talking about pain and had a, a very um, legendary diagram about a person touching a fire and one neuron from the tip of the pain up to the brain. And we know so much more pain uh, about pain than what we knew scientifically at that time. And so we have to remember science is dynamic and always changing goalposts. I think that's really important. We have to be clear. We have to be um, you know, what is evidence-based, et cetera, 100%, I believe in that. We also have to recognize that science is meant to move forward as we gain more information. So the befriending the body, combating the body, the betrayal aspect of it. Um, in I mentioned Dr. Ong earlier. He, um, I asked him, because he does calligraphy, what is the ancient calligraphic symbol for mindfulness when I started working on this? And he um, gave one to me, which I use in my presentations. And it looks like a tent, uh, if you will, like a, two lines symbolizing a tent. And underneath the tent is uh, what is the symbolism for a four-chambered heart. And what this means is experiencing the present moment with heart. And this is where the self-compassion comes in. Because with this uh, scientific evidence-based training with self-compassion, it is very, very hard, if not impossible, to be in the present moment if your body is in pain. And so how do we incorporate the self-compassion pieces? So crucial in the mindful practice. Because otherwise we're being very cognitive. Oh, come back to the present moment. And we know about the science of when we focus on our breath or our body, it's always in the present moment. Whereas the brain has a um, default narrative circuit that we're spinning stories and it makes things worse or better depending on the stories we tell. So when we focus on our body and our breath in a body scan or breath meditation, we activate that experiential circuit and it brings us to the present moment. However, if I can't do that with a sense of compassion to myself, I can't be in this present moment. Now, with all the work that Saskatchewan Pain Society has done, I know that most people listening will know that scientifically pain has been defined now as a mental and an emotional concept. My personal feeling is that we will one day uh, expand that definition of pain to incorporate a much broader sense and uh, we could call it environmental, we can call it spiritual, or all the other elements. But we do know that current research shows that compassion and empathy um, are similar, but they are different. Just like pity is different than sympathy. 
uh, which is different than empathy. Many researchers feel that empathy or that ability to feel another's discomfort, pain, or their joy is through this idea of mirror neurons. And so when we're watching, let's, I love dogs and I think you do too. Uh, when we're watching um, an SPCA commercial, um, you know, we start seeing these dogs and we feel the sense of, oh my God, it's too much. That's pain. And what do we do? We feel distress and then we can distance ourselves from that feeling because it's too much to handle because we can't be present with that much pain. What we've learned through compassion training is that compassion actually activates through a different system, through the oxytocin or love hormone, whereas empathy, empathy is not bad. It has to be very clear. Empathy is not bad. It's great. And, you know, it's, it's good to have empathy. But when our only response is empathic distress and then empathy distancing, like taking ourselves away, we actually can't be present with it and, and motivated to try to help or to change it. And so with compassion training, not only is it evolved through oxytocin, but it's also shown the neuroscience that it activates the motor cortex of the brain. So by being with pain and uncertainty and all these other things, we can actually be more likely to do something about it, whether it's our own or another. The other thing about empathic distress is if we look at the, the universal or the global picture right now, it's not just SPCA, it's watching the news. It's, it's hearing all the stories of sadness and confusion and uncertainty amongst our loved ones, but also amongst everyone, right? They're struggling, whether it be financially because of the prices. We have pain and anxiety about the condition our world is in right now. These are all things that I feel for, and I'm speaking as a, as a person, not as a, a physician. These things cause me pain when I see these things. So holding this idea of pain, not only our own pain, but are we not holding potentially the pain of others and the pain of loved ones and of the planet and what we're, what's happening to it? and the uncertainty where this goes. So to me, pain is much broader. And I feel that learning about compassion and self-compassion will not only allow ourselves to be with our own pain and then do what we need to do to make ourselves feel better, but in the broader concept context, learning to be with the pain of all of this and maybe working together to create change. So I feel that mindful and self-compassion are not separate but essential and, and work together to allow us to be where we are. Um, on a personal note, the self-compassion, I've talked about how I care for myself, and I can talk more about uh, the differences, but I think it's really important for me to say that here, that this is, it's not just about me or you or about the immediate ones that we love. We, we see what's happening with society. And when people are in pain and they're suffering, and it doesn't have to be physical pain, there can be choices we make in how we're acting out. And it can show up as very negative things. Um, but if we could learn each of us to be with ourselves in our own pain, uh, with clarity and compassion, maybe we can look at the larger human uh, and global experience. That is incredible. I have so many more questions as you were speaking to all that. And really the idea of 
that collective pain and the little individual things that we do, which not only helps us and makes us feel better, but then by extension really has that impact and that wave where it can, you know, elevate the state that society is in. And if so many of us were just a little bit more mindful or a little bit more self-compassionate, I think we would have a wildly different take on what is happening in the world right now. So I absolutely love that you brought that up. And for anyone, again, you probably, if you've listened to our episodes, you know that uh, we really enjoy the Curable app here. And if you haven't tried it yet, they have meditations on mindfulness. They have meditations on how to be more self-compassionate. They can teach you how to do body scans for yourself. So again, that's just another resource you can look into. But Anita, have you found that either mindfulness or self-compassion practices are an approach that are well-received by other practitioners? Or is this still relatively new and something we're trying to just gain more traction with? Uh, I can honestly say in the last 12 years, I've seen a huge difference in the appetite for for this information. Um, My current role um, is with the Physician Wellness Lead at the College of Medicine, and I am doing national and international work on this as well. Uh, And this is my way of giving back, but it's also my way of staying centered and feeling having that meaning and purpose and contribution. So the appetite is there. We have to be very careful because it's not just uh, physicians or healthcare workers that are burned out, but certainly that is the group that I have chosen to work with because how can we be healers when we have nothing left? And certainly um, things were not going in the right direction um, before these last few years, but certainly this has really um, not only shown the cracks in the healthcare system, but it's really, really challenging right now um, for educators, for for all of us in many ways. But when you're meant to be healing, and that's what we're called to do, it's very hard to do without having some kind of thing that fills up our own um, our own well. So there is a lot of interest. The training where I went through was in uh, Rochester, New York, and um, they are doing it primarily for physicians, and we have that expanding across Canada. We have some centers of mindfulness uh, in, in Canada as well, and we're working together. And so their appetite is there. Um, but no, not everybody is open to this. And because of the burnout, because of all of these things, sometimes the word wellness, uh, when I speak about it, the word resilience, the word um, mindfulness can all be actually red hot triggers that I, we are very capable physicians. We're very resilient, but under these circumstances, more and more people are finding it challenging, right? And so when I present, I always want to emphasize that even though these seem to be personal experiences for our own well-being, this is also a way that we can connect with other people, have constructive conversations that are not going to be confrontational, and so that we can collaborate and work together to make a better outcome, whether it's within this operating room, whether it's within this hospital, the province, or wider. So that's both sides of the story. It's being better appreciated and and more interest, 
but it's not meant to be a fix-all for the current system changes that need to occur, system and society. My personal feeling, though, is when we change, uh, I can't remember who said it, you know, when we have we change the thoughts, we think the things we think change or something along that line. Uh, but I think it's very, very important um, to recognize this is about collective well-being, collective resilience, and a collective awareness, mindfulness, collective compassion. There is so much in there to unpack that I just, oh, you are such a wealth of information. And for the healthcare providers who may be interested in some of those continuing education opportunities, I will make sure that we include some of those links um, for the Centers of Mindfulness, as well as the training that Anita did as well, if anybody does want to jump on that. Because as Anita's saying, this has such a valuable impact personally, but also for the broader society and the patients that we're trying to help treat. But in general, is there any advice you would like to give patients who are currently experiencing pain? Obviously, you've given us so much insight already, but just if somebody is feeling like they are in that dark spot and they're very lost and they're not sure where to turn, um, what just any words of wisdom that you may have for them or as well as healthcare providers if they're struggling to really give the care that they would like to, but they're just feeling limited in the resources they have. Yeah, you know, uh, we're all looking for these life hacks, right, that immediately allow us to to feel better. Um, even after all these years of practice, it's still a daily practice that I have to do. To, to, to. One of the first poems, if you will, that really resonated with me is by John Dryden. And I'll, I'm going to start for that. For all the happiness mankind can gain is not in pleasure, but in rest from pain. So if we can sit with that for a minute, um, a lot of what I was doing, and I still do, sometimes I will have that really big box of cheesies because that's my pain-numbing tool. There are ways of numbing our pain that are not necessarily the best for our long-term well-being. So taking a moment just to be with that. Um, accepting our pain just as it is, and it can be physical, emotional, combination thereof, and just accepting that this is where we are, uh, or I am right now. Um, starting with a small self-compassion affirmation or word, and it could be as simple as um, putting your right hand over your chest with, with the intention of tenderness. You know, it's got to be a sense of tenderness and just saying, you know, this is really hurting right now. Uh, this really hurts. And that's the mindfulness component. Um, and then the second is um, sort of this idea of self-compassion, which I tend to call kindfulness. So how can I be really kind to myself as I'm experiencing this? And it might just be even saying, giving myself a break in the sense that, you know what, I, I have pain. This is where I am. Can I just accept and be kind to myself and not have these thoughts that I should be doing better and I should be, you know, whatever. Um, and just instead of shoulds, just I am. And then the third element of, of the compassion piece is the uh, togetherness. I'm not the only one going through this. Um, part of the human experience is, is pain and suffering and we all may have it in different ways. This is what I'm experiencing right now. Um, one of the biggest things I found about pain it's very isolating, um, and it, it still makes me time to reach out 
when I'm in, in having um, a lot of pain and allowing people to see that vulnerability. And, um, you know, maybe it's not safe to do so with everybody, but certainly, um, you know, the, the people that you can be with um, and, and, and you know, I think is really important. So that's the acceptance and self-compassion piece. Other things that I found really helpful for me is pacing my day. I was one of those people with boundless energy. You know, I had kids and um, I was head of the department. Um, I loved my social life. I did all of those things. And so pacing my day, even today, um, I've had to change my work so that I can't do I can't do eight hours of a row of anything. So uh, giving myself permission to pace my day. Sleep has been a big thing. The sleep mood pain triangle, many people have heard about, but I just always thought that, oh, I don't, I'm one of those people, I don't need a lot of sleep. Um, it, sleep is so important. So get important information on sleep hygiene and really connect with what's going to work for you. We can read those lists, you know, dark in your room, don't watch TV before bed. We can read about all those things. Just start with little changes and habits that's going to improve your sleep because that does affect the mood and it does affect the pain scores. Connection and community is is big for me. Pain to me wiped out a lot of what I thought was on my slate and it almost made me start off with a blank slate. And so I'm very careful what I put in to my days now, the people that I put into it um, and, it's, and, the, and the things that I do need to be things that energize me or people that energize me. So I'm very careful, but I also know that being alone all the time is not good. So connection and community and knowing what you're allowing in. Um, the mindfulness stuff and self-compassion, of course, um, there's lots of evidence about gratitude practice. So, you know, journaling or writing things down, three things at night, things you're grateful for. And of course, I can't forget that certainly um, all the things that I first started off with, the medications, therapies, procedures, I'm still doing all of those as well because it's part of my uh, tool belt, if you will, and and mindfulness and self-compassion are the tool belt itself and everything else are things that I hang off the tool belt. And so I connect with myself. Today, it might be I need some physio as well as a meditation. Today, I'm having really bad pain day. Maybe I just incorporate a lot of self-compassion today and in whatever way I can. So that's how I look at it for myself is the mindfulness, compassion, is the tool belt itself. And then I have all these different things that I, and it changes all the time, which is why mindfulness is so important, right? It's, well, that worked last time and then I get really upset because, well, why isn't it working this time? And I lived a lot of that first 10 years like that. I did everything right. Like, what the heck, you know? So that's sort of what I would suggest. And and get get support. That's the number one thing I tell physicians. If nothing else, reach out and get the help you need. Um, I often thought physicians were the worst at getting help because we're, and we are, I think, we're, we're not great at it because we should be able to do everything. We know a lot. And it's all of us, we, we you know, reaching out and just saying, can you give me a hand up? I think is the most powerful tool I've had to make me a better healer is being in that position of the dark hole and reaching up and having someone say, you know, 
we're doing this together. I'm going to officially start calling that uh, Anita's Kindfulness Tool Belt because there are so much amazing <laughs> uh, tools and resources in there. And as Anita said, like what may work one day may not work another, just in some ways, you know, not every resource works for each person. Pain is so individual, but there's also so many different things you can do outside of just taking medication or going to physio. You can work with others, work with yourself. There is always a solution. So if you are seeking care and you're finding that, you know, the suggestions they're giving you aren't working, there are so many other options that you can turn to and try out. And maybe you need a huge handful of them like Anita does. And I know I do too. I've got a whole schedule for that. So hopefully if you haven't tried some of these, you can visit the Sask Pain website where we have tons of these resources listed. Um, you can always contact us if you have more information. But Anita, as we're wrapping up here, is there anything else you would like to mention that we haven't discussed yet today? I do feel that um, we talked about the tool belt. Not all options work for all people, but also the fact that not all options will work for you the same each time. So being okay with that, I think is really, really, really important. I think for me, it's about finding strength and courage in my own humanity. That's really hard some days. But again, recognizing that I have, I have strength and I have courage is really important. And by allowing it to see, allowing myself to acknowledge it and own that story, I can actually see it in others. Um, days that are particularly bad and I'm not feeling particularly self-compassionate and feeling a little low, if I can, I try to do something even a little bit for someone else. And I see if that helps me. And it often die, oftentimes it does. Um, it might be a phone call to someone who I know is going through something and I don't have to expend a lot of my energy, but just being with that person, getting out of my own story. So it's the paradox of owning my story and yet allowing myself to listen to other story and share that it really helps. Um, I mentioned about creating community and not isolating myself and asking support. One of the biggest things and you mentioned about looking for solutions. As an anesthetist and as a physician, solutions are my go-to. I mean, plan A, plan B, plan C. And one of my biggest learnings through all of this is sometimes there is no answer and sometimes there is no solution. And that actually brings a catch to my throat because that's what I want. I want it for myself. I want it for everything. And so this other um, mantra, if you will, that I say often is to cure sometimes, relieve often, and comfort always is how I try to live as I attempt to help others and has how I am compassionate to myself. And sometimes that's all I can do and I can't cure it. I can't relieve my pain, but I am capable of providing comfort to myself always. Those are some incredible parting words of wisdom there. And because we are at the end, we always ask this question because we are a Saskatchewan-based podcast. Would you be willing to tell us about one of your favorite things about living here in the province? Um, that's a that's a really good question. Uh, I've been here since 1963 or 64. So as I said, I've been here a while, I've traveled a lot. And there's one thing that about Saskatchewan and I think 
this mindfulness journey has really allowed me to see it. When I look up at the living skies or when I see the horizon um, of the of the fields of crops and the sky above, the sunsets, the sunrises, it reminds me of the sense of space and silence. And that's what mindfulness does for me. It connects me to that space inside me. So living in Saskatchewan, I feel that all I have to do is look up, even on my worst moments or even in my best moments, it's even better than, right? Um, and just being reminded that this space and this um, beautiful silence is ours to access at any time within us, even in the midst of pain, suffering, and all the um, individual and collective woes that we appear to have right now. I can absolutely agree with that. And I'm sure that so many others can too. Anita, thank you again for your time and your words today. This was such a wonderful conversation for the listeners as we are wrapping up the end of the season of the podcast. And again, as a SAS pain member, I am wanting to thank you so much for your time and your service to the pain community here in the province. And I can't wait to keep up with everything else you're still going to do. Thank you so much for inviting me and for having me and allowing me to. Um, just share a few of my thoughts. Anytime. And if we've got a second season, we would absolutely love to have you back to learn more. So thank you, Anita. Thank you, Alexandra. Anita provided us with so much information in this episode. I have done my best to include many of these items in the show notes about the recommendations or references regarding mindfulness and self-compassion through the work of people like John Kabat-Zinn and Kristen Neff, as well as links to Anita's educational webinar on mindfulness that she delivered to our Partners in Pain community earlier this year. As a final note, we have officially wrapped season one of the Your Partners in Pain podcast. We would once again like to give a heartfelt thank you to the support of the Community Initiatives Fund for granting us the ability to produce this podcast over the last year, as well as the support of the Saskatchewan Pain Society. A thank you to our editor, Chris, of the Saskatoon-based Lemon Productions. This season would not have happened without your help, as well as our substitute host, the wonderful Jessica Jack. Lastly, a word to the pain community. As Anita so beautifully spoke to in this episode, pain is a collective experience. We set out to make this podcast with the goal of providing not just education and information to listeners, but as a means of support and solidarity for those living with pain or anyone trying to help someone who does. One of my favorite quotes comes from Kelly Harrell, which states, we don't heal in isolation, but in community. I have found in my own experience that healing does happen in community. And this has been a common thread that has been shared by so many of our guests. We are very lucky to live in Saskatchewan, where we have a motivated pain community, and I am incredibly grateful to have spoken to all the guests this season who shared incredible insight and knowledge that has absolutely been helpful to our audience. Thank you to everyone. Thank you for listening to Your Partners in Pain, a podcast for people experiencing pain and those who help individuals living with pain. Funding for this podcast was provided by the Saskatchewan Community Initiatives Fund, and the Saskatchewan Pain Society. For more information about our organization or to find additional resources, please find us on social media at SASPain 
or visit our official website, www.saskpain.ca.